Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Southeast Radio. Well, as we begin to turn our attention to life after the pandemic, there's been much conversation about the future of the workplace. Will it be fully remote or a hybrid of office work and working from home? How can managers ensure that they are engaging, communicating and managing workers effectively, irrespective of their location? Well, Dr. Cullum Foster, Director of Executive Education with the Irish Management Institute, joins us now to provide us with some answers to these questions. Cullum, we will be discussing the challenges and opportunities associated with managing a hybrid workforce. But first, perhaps you might take us through a whistle-stop tour of your own career to date, as it has literally brought you all over the world. So I started out in Ireland as a chartered accountant with an organisation called Ernst & Young, uh, and then I, I spent some time in Australia as, a, as an audit manager. Came back to Ireland and worked with Diageo, the great... Uh, I was working in the Baileys part of that business, so I worked all over with that, that organisation, had a fantastic time travelling the world. I spent a lot of time in, in the UK, spent a lot of time, I lived in the UK for a while and spent a lot of time in Africa and Southeast Asia and the Caribbean and uh, actually spent a lot of time in airports, Carl. And then came back about uh, 15 years ago, uh, did a PhD in emotional intelligence, started working with a number of, of um, organisations in Ireland and a number of universities and about five years ago joined the IMI as the Director of Executive Education. Now, what did you learn about organisational management both in Ernest & Young and Diageo? I mean, it's 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 how long is a piece of string? That's an immensely interesting question, Carl. Um, it it probably it comes down to leadership and it comes down to people. I mean, most organisations have two things in common: they have money and people. So if you understand how money works and you understand how people work, you can pretty much operate in any environment. But you need to understand both: there's the soft skills, the engagement, the leadership, the motivation, all that kind of stuff. But you also need to understand the, the kind of the financial economics, the, just the, the the financial realities of all organisations. And Colm, are leaders born or created? A bit of both. Uh, I suppose that's a, that's a real consultant's answer, isn't it? It's a bit of both. Um, I think there's there's a certain level of innate skill that people have in, in, in managing other people and we all start from a certain place our, our experience, our traits, our learning all of your life experience will lead you to a certain place but it's a skill that you you, you can and should and um, are almost obliged to develop um, so how leadership is, is, is developed is through reflecting on your experience, is through putting yourself in the way of having experiences, putting yourself in the way of broadening, stretching, developing yourself and consciously doing that, putting yourself through programs, reading, talking to people, watching other people, but then consciously taking the time to reflect on that experience. So I tried this, it didn't work. Well, why was that? I tried that with that person, it worked really well. Well, why was that? And would it work again with the next person? So that conscious reflection on experience and consciously honing your skill, honing your craft of leading people is how great leaders get to be great leaders. Now, you specialised, as you mentioned earlier, in the area of emotional intelligence. So how have you taken that and applied it to the world of management and leadership? Well, emotional intelligence is the, is the science of understanding your own and others' emotions, but it's being emotionally intelligent. So it's not about being emotional or getting in touch with more your emotions or feeling more, you know, doing more feeling stuff. That's kind of a, a, a misconstruction or a misapprehension of it. It's about being able to use your own emotions to facilitate thinking and to, and to manage emotions so they don't undermine thinking. So how do you make yourself more intelligent by leveraging your feelings? So for example, if you got angry, how would you use anger as a tool to propel action? How would you use your anger, your frustration as a tool to help you think better? 
clearly the more emotionally adept you are, the more emotionally agile you are, the easier it is to connect with other people because we connect with people emotionally first, intellectually second. Like if you don't like the person you're speaking to, you won't listen to what they have to say, no matter how good their idea is, you're not necessarily listening to them. But if you can make that human connection with people, uh, you're much more likely to get people on side. You're much more likely to inspire, motivate, lead, challenge, support, coach, all of these kinds of things. Cullum, managers were literally plunged into the unknown in March 2020 when they were tasked with managing a remote workforce. This has created a need for new approaches to be taken to recruitment, onboarding, training and many other facets of the management function. But overall, how do you think they have coped with such a drastic change? Oh, I think it's... Well, you know, most people have done extraordinarily well. If you think about what we were faced with, if you look at the agility, the adaptability that most organisations have faced, I think there's a huge uh, effort put in, not just from managers and leaders, but from, from you know from staff and from the followers to, to to go with the flow. I think that's there's been a tremendous effort. You can see it across the globe, but nationally as well. I think we've done hugely well. There are of course our pockets, and there. I think the issue uh, won't really be about how well we responded to the challenge. The challenge is going to be how do you start to unscrew that. We've wound this thing really tight. As you start to unscrew that, as you start to allow people back to the office, as we start to look at hybrid organisations, as things start to look a bit better, that's when we're going to have the challenges. And uh, as somebody said to me the other day, the referendum on your leadership is about to be held. However well you led, the state of what's called a psychological contract between you and the people in your organisation, we are about to find out as the economy opens up as, as the labour force becomes more mobile again, we're, we're, we're about to have a referendum on your leadership and some organisations are going to do particularly well because they built trust, they built connection, they treated people well. The, 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 you know, the state of the psychological contact is healthier. People feel better about their organisations. They actually feel more resilient and capable because they've demonstrated, wow, look what we were able to do there. And in some organisations, that's not true. Some organisations have damaged the psychological contract and, and their, their talent is about to walk. It's a very good point that you're making now. As the economy opens back up and as the government take away those restrictions on people working from the office again, of course there's going to be a mixed bag. You're going to have some staff yeah. that will want to continue working remotely forever. You'll have others that will want to come into the office maybe part-time, two or three days a week yeah. or one day a week or one day a month. And then you'll have others that will want to come back in and work full-time in the office. So that causes complications for leaders. What advice would you have for them this morning in that respect on how to manage that? Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, the research, there's a lot of research going on about this and the numbers vary somewhere between 60, 70%, maybe as high as 80% in states uh, of, of staff saying they want some level of remote working to continue. Maybe not fully, but some level. One interesting piece of research, I think it was from Deloitte, who said that in the States, 30% of staff would leave their organizations if they couldn't have any remote working. So there's, you know, there's, people have liked the idea of remote working. There's a lot of advantages to it. Um, but a couple of things are going to be, are, are, are going to be challenging. Um, we have to be really careful about how much is virtual and how much is in-person. So we now know that you can work remotely, but that doesn't mean you should. So what is the kind of work where, do you know it's just you working on your own? Uh, uh, you could do that from home. You could do that from the office. It's, it's, it, so which works best for you, knowing that actually either will work for the organization. What about the team connection stuff? Can you do that from home? Can you do that on Zoom? Can you do that effectively through technology? Some people can, some people can't. So what piece of work requires you to be in the office? What piece of work 
means that you don't have to be in the office. What about client work? What's the client's expectation? Do they expect you there? Do they, are they going to be working remotely so you can work remotely with them? So that whole hybrid model has to be worked through, and that will be about what works best and what, what, what doesn't. One of the very interesting things about that is what does the boss choose to do? Because, I mean, power and politics have always been a big feature of organizational life. They haven't gone away. They're going to be a, a feature of the, of the hybrid model. So what does the boss choose to do? So if she chooses to come into the work every day, that that's the big signal. Real work gets done in the office. If she, if she chooses to work three days a week from home, that's a big signal. You can work effectively from home. So that's the, you know, the dynamic about what exactly can and can't be, be, be done should be based on what works best for the organization and the individual. And, and we need to be very conscious of how leaders um, uh, make their choices. Another thing that's really interesting is there's a problem of what's called overproductivity. Sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Um, but people who choose to work from home are often under stress to demonstrate that they're being productive. So they overproduce, they, they, they work far too long, they get involved with far too many things to demonstrate that they're being productive, that they're not all watching Netflix or whatever. So we need to make sure that... that uh, that people are managed or assessed or performance managed based on output, based on, on what they do, not on the hours they put in. So it doesn't matter whether you're at home or whether you're in Costa Cafe, whatever, on your laptop. As long as you're producing the work and we know how to assess what you're producing, then that, sh- that should be fine. The, the, the last one, there's a couple of other ones, but another one that's very interesting is really about talent, managing your talent. There's there is this like, it's like a FOMO issue, you know, fear of missing out on promotions, fear of missing out on opportunities. If you're not in the office, will you get the good assignment? If you're not under the boss's nose, will, will she still think that you're talented? Will she think that, still think that you're promotable? So uh, particularly for HR teams, they're going to have to make sure that talent is made visible. Now, they're all very relevant points. And I suppose the old adage, what gets measured gets managed, still rings true today. But what tools are available to measure the KPIs of a remote workforce? Well, you see, this is this is a really interesting question because what what remote working does is it causes you to think much more carefully about that question. It causes you to think about in your context how would I assess the quality of this person's output because I can't be standing watching them. I don't even know whether they're working. So, what is the measure of that? And in the past, we've used bad proxies. Organizations have used pretty bad proxies. That's where you end up with this presenteeism stuff. So, that's about well, how would I know? And, and it may, may, may or may not be technology enabled, it probably would be. I'll tell you what it isn't. It's not measuring keystrokes. It's not measuring time and attendance. I mean, some people are looking at, you know, can we, can we track keystrokes that people are making? Of course you can, but you shouldn't. Um, so it's about having a much more thoughtful approach. How would I know for that person who's doing that creative job whether they're actually producing? What would be the piece of output that would allow me to assess that beyond something subjective? But how would you actually know? And put the time into thinking about how you'd actually know. The technology and the tools are a, are a way, way secondary consideration. The much harder work, which is why people have very, very rarely done it well, is to think, how would I know? How would I measure? What is this, the objective success measure for that piece of work? And do the hard work of thinking through that properly. And once you have that, the technologies and the tools would be, are just a mechanical consideration. And Cullum, when it comes to communication, of course, and managing staff working remotely, for many managers, it may be a struggle, I suppose, to draw the line between micromanaging 
and having no communication at all. I was actually on a course recently with the IMI through Enterprise Ireland and you used the breakout rooms very effectively on Zoom and Microsoft Teams to ensure that people remained engaged in that. But apart from that, what advice have you got to managers and leaders in relation to how they should manage communication with their remote teams? Yeah, communication is, is another very interesting development. I think uh, um, a lot of these platforms are much better, much more interactive, much more effective than any of us knew. Uh, in fairness, 18 months ago, they weren't. So the platforms have leaped forward. Uh, people's familiarity or at least their acceptance of communication over these platforms has leaped forward as well. So you have a confluence of both of those things happening at the same time. You know, technology is better and people's willingness to engage with the technology, the barriers have come come down in terms of technology. So that means a lot of communication can happen remotely. Do you know what was very interesting? So when people are in the office and you're bumping into them and chatting at the water cooler, you know, chatting at the coffee break or, you know, you're just having to chat in, in, in the corridor, you can be deluded into thinking that communication has happened because you met that person and there was a two-second conversation or a three-second conversation. Once we went remote, we've all had to be much more planful about communication. We've had to think through, well, how am I connecting with that person and that person? How am I connecting with that team? What are the forums through which we will connect? And this, you know, the better organizations are really thinking through and involving staff in working through, well, what would be a good way to communicate this kind of message? And what would be a good way to communicate that? And how often and in what forum? As people go back to work, one of the things that I've been really strongly advising organizations to do is to think very carefully about the communication mechanisms that they put in place and and continuing to use those very thoughtful, explicit mechanisms, even though you think they're no longer required. And finally, Colm, managing a remote and hybrid workforce is likely to be a lasting effect of the pandemic. I think we're agreed on that. So what are the new skills that leaders and managers now need to develop to be effective in the roles going forward? Yeah, so I think there's a, the, the communication one is really important. Uh, probably two others I just pick up. There's a number of things that we talked about uh, in the call, but two others I pick up. The ability to build and nurture a culture virtually or in a hybrid world you know, where some people are hybrid and, 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 and some people are in person, that's going to be really important. So the kind of stories that people tell, the rituals, the symbols, how you create tribal identity in people, how you create shared experiences. That's a new skill and, and uh, managers are going to have to learn, leaders are going to have to learn. Well, how do I do that when some people are remote and some people aren't? And there's, there's great experience in, in kind of virtual teams or hybrid teams. Are those people, particularly multinationals, who've led global teams where you know, half the team are in India, half the team are in Singapore, half the team are in the US. You know, this, um, I know that's more than one, <laughs> that's four halves. It's a really big team. So, you know, that, 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 that ability to connect and build culture and build connections with people who are remote, that's going to be a, a skill. Managing that hybrid thing so that there's no differentiation between the people who are inside the circle in person and the people who are outside the circle virtually, that's going to be a skill to build. Uh, the other thing that's going to be really interesting to manage is um, work-life balance. Um, a lot of there's a lot of research now about how much more work people are doing. Um, you would have thought that when you take out your 45-minute commute either side of your working day, that you actually got you know an hour and a half back. What what seems to have happened is not only have people chewed up the commute and added work into that, uh, but there seems to be about a 45-minute, um, some research we've seen lately, a 45-minute increase in the total amount of time that people are spending working. So people are spending more time in work during the pandemic. Now, part of that is crisis. During the you know during a crisis as a response to crisis, of course we all had to work harder. Of course people had to knuckle down. Of course people put in extra effort. But that was because we were having an economic crisis as well as a public health crisis. 
organisations were in trouble, organisations were struggling commercially and financially and economically. So, so of course, we rolled up our sleeves and, and, and you know, muscled through it. That We need to make sure that that stops, that, that we don't stay in crisis mode. Um, and, and what people will be focusing on, and particularly the good leaders will be focusing on uh, um, sustainable human performance, a lot of conversation about sustainability in terms of the environment. But sustainability also um, uh, applies to the human beings in your organisation. There's a certain amount of pressure you can put people under for a certain amount of time, but you have to let that relief valve off. And going forward, as we go from you know, the, the, the level of change that we experienced before the pandemic, that'll just start ramping back up again. We were talking about this two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. That, that hasn't gone away, so that will come back on, as well as this kind of uh, issues around global supply chains, issues around global mobility, all the kind of things that are now in people's risk analysis thinking those things will factor in. So with all of that coming at you, and with some of your people in front of you and some of your people spread around the world, how do you apply the right level of reward, punishment, in motivation, engagement, support, challenge, all of those things so that you get people to perform at their best for a, a sustained period of time. Uh, it's a bit like having a, a relay team that can run and run and run and run. You don't want people running their leg and then dropping down dead just as they hand over the baton and then the next person can run their leg and they fall down dead when they you know, do their bit and they hand over the baton to the next person. You want to have a sustainable performance and the sustainable the sustainable human performance, the sustainable organisational performance will only come from sustainable human performance. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Dr. Cullum Foster, Director of Executive Education with the Irish Management Institute. And I'd like to thank Cullum for sharing his knowledge with us this morning. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Southeast.